We are grateful that through technology, we can be joined with our brothers and sisters who are not able to be here in person. But God, I, I trust that you will be in their space as well and you will move in their space this morning. Lord, I just pray that we would indeed open up our hearts. God, I just pray that you would move in a new and fresh way this morning. God, we are desperate for you. We are hungry for you, and you are so worthy of our praise. So, Lord, we are anticipating the good thing that you will do in this space, and to you be the glory. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Please stand and sing with us.
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your sweet presence that is in this place. And God, as we sing those words and as we think back to perhaps that 
moments that we came to know you as Lord and Savior of our lives. Lord, what a sweet and precious moment it was to recognize your love for us. And it's a love that that we could never find anywhere else from anyone else. And that's a beautiful love. Thank you, Lord, for how you loved me with all of my brokenness. Thank you, Lord, for extending your great love for me. God, we just pause and recognize how profound it is that you would love us, that you would take the first step toward us before we could ever even think to take that step toward you. You are pursuing us and our hearts. And Lord, we just simply declare we love you this morning. God, I just pray that you would just continue to move in this space. Continue to draw our hearts closer to yours. Lord, I pray that you would be with all of those who are, who are experiencing difficulties on this day. Lord, we remember that there are so many here among us today and those who aren't able to be here today that are experiencing grief and loss, and we continue to hold them closely and remember them this morning. God, we just pray that you would be with them, comfort them in a way only you can. Lord, we pray for those around the country, particularly in Texas. We think of those today who have just had an extraordinary week. Lord, our hearts are heavy for those who have suffered incredible loss. We read the stories that came across our news feeds this week or came across our televisions, and there are some seriously devastating stories. So God, we just remember those this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would draw near to them, to the brokenhearted. Help them to realize the precious Lord that is walking with them through such an incredible loss. Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Lord, I just pray that you would remove distractions. God, I welcome your Holy Spirit into this place to teach us, to to guide us, to convict us if necessary. And Lord, I just pray that it is your words that we hear this morning. Help us, Lord, to respond. Help us to see how you are calling us to walk deeper, to walk closely beside you. Speak, Lord, we are listening. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we are recognizing that it is the first Sunday in, uh, of the season of Lent. And um, I am excited to be journeying with you all toward the cross because that's what we're doing. During this season of Lent, we are journeying together to the cross. And um, I shared some of this on Wednesday, so forgive me if you were here or if you tuned into our Wednesday service. There's a few things that I just had to share again, but I will just remind you what the season of Lent is. It is a time um, of, of intentional prayer, uh, intentional fasting for many. It's a time to 
to give up of ourselves, to deny ourselves, deny our flesh, and to prepare to receive more of Christ. It's a time where we voluntarily journey into the wilderness with Jesus. And as I shared on Wednesday, that can seem a little strange or striking at first. What does that mean? We don't like the wilderness. We tend to push back against the wilderness because the wilderness is uncomfortable. The wilderness is a time where we really have to deny ourselves and our needs. But oh, how beautiful it is when Jesus meets us in the wilderness. You may not recognize just how necessary the sacred season of Lent is until you are prompted by the Holy Spirit to give up something that's difficult for you. For instance, so embarrassing, but a few years ago, I felt prompted to give up social media for Lent. And I cannot explain to you the uncomfortable anxiety that I had leading up to the first day of Lent. That's embarrassing. And that was sign number one, that this is what I need to give up for Lent. And then if you're not a social media person, then that might not connect with you. You might not, that wouldn't be difficult for you. But um, I realized just how much time and space social media fills in my life when I gave that up for Lent, and it was very difficult. It was not easy, but oh, how beautiful it was when Jesus stepped in and filled this void that I didn't even realize social media had created. And it was a beautiful time of reconnecting to the one who is worthy and deserving of my attention and, and space and time. And, and so beautiful things can happen when we embrace the season of Lent, when we intentionally create space for God to move in new ways. It's, it's a beautiful thing when we embrace new rhythms, when we take part in practices that might not be a part of our everyday lives. And if we just kind of brush past that without even pausing, we miss this beautiful invitation to go on this journey alongside Jesus and watch how he reignites and renews our hearts, our souls, our spirits. But what happens when we turn these moments into just religious rituals? What happens when we move from it being something that we are excited about because we're excited about the opportunity and all that the Lord will do? And what happens when we turn that into just another thing that we need to do, something I should do, something I'm obligated to do? What happens then is we begin to miss out on the beauty and goodness of God. I shared, I shared on Wednesday um, that several years ago, I had this coworker, and he was agonizing over what to give up for Lent. And I, I was listening to him kind of go back and forth, like, oh, should I give this up? Should I give that? Oh, that's not going to be fun, and that's going to be hard. And, and he just agonized over it. And I just thought to myself, where is the good in that? Where's the beauty in that? And if that's what it looks like to participate in the season of Lent, I'm glad I don't have to do that. Now, I was very young in, in age and, and in spiritual maturity, and so it wasn't until several years later when I began to embrace those practices that I realized that that is not something to walk into reluctantly, or it shouldn't be just another thing that we have to do, that we're obliged to do, but it can be a beautiful opportunity to see all of the work, the new work that God is doing. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story in Mark chapter 2. And we're going to see in this story that there are people who are, who are conversing with Jesus, and what's happening is that they are missing a great invitation that is 
before them because they are so fixated on these religious rituals. It's become something that takes up their time and attention in such a way that they are missing the goodness of God that is in their midst. And so I would like to invite you to stand this morning for the reading of Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Here's the word of the Lord. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I think what's happening here is that a genuine question is being asked. Uh, In all my studying this week and in all my reading this week, I didn't read anything that suggests that the Pharisee or the the people that are talking to Jesus on behalf of, of the Pharisees and John's disciples, that there's no reason to believe that they're trying to trick Jesus. Like we see that in other places in the Gospels. But this, by all appearances, seems to be just a genuine question. Now, they might be questioning Jesus' legitimacy. They might be wondering, like, who is this guy and what is he trying to do? There might be some of that happening, but this is overall just a genuine question. Hey, why aren't your disciples participating in this sacred practice that we hold dear? And I think that it's important for us to recognize this morning that, that probably what it was for John's disciples is that they were fasting in mourning for John, who was at this point imprisoned, and we know that he has a grim future ahead and things don't turn out well. And so likely his disciples are just fasting from this place of, of grief and feeling overwhelmed and just kind of mourning what is happening with John. But then you've got those who are kind of speaking on behalf of the Pharisees. And I mentioned this on Wednesday that we have to be careful because this is where we often are ready to lunge at the Pharisees and point out yet again, oh, look how mistaken they are. Look how far off they are. Oh, those poor Pharisees just didn't understand. Well, we have to be careful because we are reminded that what they were doing began from a place of love and devotion to God. The Pharisees loved God and they revered God. And so this fasting and these these practices and these rituals that they held to, this came from a sincere place of love and devotion to God. You see, this fasting that they were participating in, this was in accordance with what we would know as the Old Testament law, which declared that they would fast once a year, but the Pharisees, out of love and devotion for God, came to a place where they wanted to fast multiple times a week. And so that began as as this This began from this place of, again, love and devotion to God, but after a while it seemed to turn into this tool that they would use to measure how great they were, how devoted they were, how much they loved God, and why aren't you all doing this too? You must not love God as much as we do. 
it became a measuring tool that they used to measure who was great and devout. And, and, and in their devotion to fasting, we also recognize that they had this deep sense of longing for renewal for Israel. The, the Pharisees were fasting on behalf of, of Israel and, and what God would do to, to renew Israel and Israel's hope. And, and kind of the irony of it all is that this rigid legalism that their fasting turned into caused them to miss the hope and renewal that was standing in their midst. See, the Pharisees, they thought that their legalism was honoring God, but in fact it was separating them from seeing who Jesus was and what he was doing in their midst. And, and legalism, whether it's in uh, religious rituals or, or rigid rules that we set, it has a tendency to do just that. At its best, it, it keeps us walking the path that we ought to walk. It, it, we, we think it, that it keeps us close to God, and sometimes it does, but at its worst, it keeps us from seeing what God is doing in our midst. And, and two, like, like the Pharisees, it comes from a place of devotion and love for God, we, 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 we make these rules and we participate in these practices and these rituals because we love God, but if we aren't careful, it can, be something, it can become something that's, that's actually distracting us from what God is doing in our midst. If we aren't careful, it becomes more about the what rather than the why. We've seen examples of this throughout the years in the church, that, that what begins as a holy partnership with God turns into this test that you must pass in order to be deemed holy. Example, an example of this is dancing. This is an example that, that we can look at. That the church at one time refused to participate in dancing, and it was not something that they took part in. It was something that they separated themselves from Christians at one time, it was frowned upon to dance, and I'm sure that some probably still hold to that today, which is, which is fine and well. But I'm reminded in my, in my studying this week that this often began from a place of, well, we don't want to participate in dancing because of where the dancing takes place. And it became this, this call to separate ourselves from, from practices and, and, and moments that kind of drew people away from God and, and oftentimes really just destroyed people's lives because of what else would take place in these spaces where, where dancing happened. And so Christians, particularly in the holiness tradition, in our focus to serve the poor, to, to stand up for those that are oppressed and neglected, we, we would refrain from going to these places that perpetuated these harmful situations. But I wonder if over time, and I'm not speaking about this with absolute certainty, but I'm just wondering did it become less about the why and more about the what? Because I'm sure for some people it was just the act of dancing that was not appropriate. And for some people that is still what it is. But I wonder if what started out is let's partner with God and, and see how we can uh, partner with God and, and what he's doing and separate ourselves from where we know that this is not something that is promoting a godly lifestyle. If anything, it's just kind of pulling families apart and it's pulling people away from God. But if we aren't careful, again, it can become something 
that is more about pride and personal piety and less about partnering with God and seeing where his kingdom is breaking in. And this kind of thing has been happening for a long time, and it's what was happening here in this text that we read today. That these, the Pharisees, as well-intentioned and as well-meaning as they were, they turned fasting into this legalistic tool that separated them from those who weren't doing what they were doing. Fasting had been twisted into this act that was no longer so much about the grace of God, but a way to earn God's favor. And if we are honest, like painfully honest, conversations like this are hard because sometimes we really have to um, pause for a moment and just consider what of this we, we agree with or what we don't agree with. But if we are painfully honest, we might confess, I can confess to you that, that sometimes we fall into this trap of believing that our personal actions are what make us holy. And the things that we do or the things that we don't do, that's what makes us holy. And there are so many reasons why this is a flawed way of thinking, more than what we could even cover today. But let's just go ahead and point out that this is putting an impossible burden on other people that they cannot bear. If you think about somebody who, who has just lived a life that is not pleasing to God by telling them that they need to do this, this, and this, and stop this, this, and this, and it's as simple as that, that's going to be a burden that some people simply cannot bear because they don't have it within themselves to just stop. And it's dangerous for so many reasons, but one of the big reasons this is dangerous is it because it causes us to look at other people like, oh, you're just something that needs fixed, rather than seeing them for who they are, which is a beloved child of God, whom he created, whom he sent his son to die for, and whom he is still pursuing today. Not to mention this places impossible standards on ourselves. When we fail to live up to what we are trying to do or not do, then it easily welcomes in these feelings of shame, guilt, and all we're focused on is, oh, I can't do this. And we're less focused on what God can do. And here's the thing. While holiness can and should cause us to do something and it will lead us to action it's not the type of action that we must do in order to earn something but it's motivated from our relationship with God and a desire to serve him and a desire to partner with him in what he is already doing so it will cause us to do something but it will be in partnership with God you see another reason why this is a flawed way of thinking that our personal actions make us holy is because this takes away from what God is doing. We're more focused on what we're doing or what we're not doing or what this other person is doing or what this other person isn't doing, and we are completely missing what God himself is doing. It's God who's always been at work and God who will continue to be at work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. It's God and his Holy Spirit who brings holiness in the lives of people, not people who pride themselves on following certain rules. It's not the Christian who follows rules perfectly and uses this false narrative to draw others in. It's the Holy Spirit of God that's working to draw others in. It's not the boxes that are being checked 
to earn our salvation, but it's instead God's saving grace that he offers to each and every one of us. It's not legalistic rules, but the sanctifying grace of God that transforms hearts and lives into a holy, Christ-like image. It's all about what God is doing and has done, not what I'm doing or not doing. See, what I choose to do and don't do will come as a result of what God has already done. And so this is what Jesus is trying to address with the Pharisees because they were missing. By pointing out what they were doing and pointing out what others weren't doing, they were missing what God was doing in their midst. And so Jesus is, is explaining them in his, to them in his response. He's saying by becoming so fixated on this one discipline of fasting, you're missing what God is doing. And I would argue that the absolute tragedy of this story is that the Pharisees were so busy focusing on what they were doing and what they weren't doing that they missed the very presence of God incarnate, the Messiah, in their midst. They were so busy trying to fit Jesus and his disciples into this box that they had created that they lost sight of what God was doing before their very eyes. See, what we see in this story today is that Jesus is explaining that by becoming so obsessed with the fasting, they were losing their ability to feast. In other words, they were so fixated on what they were doing or what they weren't doing that they lost sight of what God was doing, which was ushering in his kingdom. This was reason to celebrate. This was reason to rejoice. This was reason to praise God, and instead they were so fixated on, oh, wait a minute, why aren't you fasting? Why aren't you fasting like us? Jesus was saying, there's no need for that. This is a time of rejoicing. What you're doing isn't necessary. But then there's that, that, that grim reminder, it will be necessary. As Jesus points out, in, for the first time in the Gospel of Mark, he's pointing to the cross for the very first time, saying, it will be necessary. There will be a day where you will indeed need to fast, but not yet. No, right now you need to feast, or in other words, celebrate what God is doing in your midst. God was doing a new thing. The problem is it was disrupting their old way of doing things. And that's what Jesus was trying to explain with this example of the cloth, the old cloth and the new cloth, or the old wineskin and the new wineskin. When you try to, to smush in the new with the old, it doesn't work. And I want to carefully say this. But perhaps we Christians ought to be more open to our rigidity being disrupted when God is trying to do a new thing in our midst. Perhaps that's the moment where we just need to pause. Not say anything, not interject ourselves, not point out what we're doing or what someone's not doing, but pause for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to move and do what he is trying to do. And so as you process all of this today, I have questions for us, and I think that depending on who you are, I need to ask you a different question. So my question for some of you is this. Are we so focused on the fast or the rituals or the boxes that we're trying to check? Are we so focused on the fast that we've lost the ability to feast? 
And by feast, again, I mean take in all the good that God is doing in and around you, celebrating the presence of God that is before you. See, the fast is good and necessary. No one's knocking fasting. It's good and it's necessary. I spent the first several minutes explaining the the importance of fasting. It's denying ourselves. It is necessary, but it shouldn't keep us from feasting. It shouldn't keep us from celebrating and seeing and rejoicing in the good that God is doing in our lives and in the lives of those around us. You see, fasting and feasting go hand in hand. Even in the midst of Lent, we fast not out of guilt or legalism, but a desire to be shaped by Christ, a desire to draw closer to Christ, a desire to have our eyes open to see and then celebrate or feast in the good that God is doing in our midst. And so I wonder if you know this, you probably do, this is not brand new information for a lot of you, but, but do you remember, do you know that, that Sundays during the season of Lent are, are days to participate and days that you can you know, put your fast aside and, and participate in whatever it is you're giving up? Sundays are our resurrection days. You are invited to partake on Sundays because that's not a day for mourning or fasting. It's a resurrection day. It's a day to celebrate. It's a day to, to remember and recognize that we worship a resurrected living Lord. There's no need to mourn and fast on Sundays. And so that's this peculiar side of Lent that we see that, that you can actually step back into whatever it is you're giving up on this day simply so that you don't lose your ability to feast and celebrate the resurrected Lord. Feasting is just as much a part of the Lenten journey as fasting. It helps us remember that Jesus has come, and he's coming again. He's present with us, and he's continually working to renew us. And we both fast and feast while we wait as people in between. In between his first coming, waiting for his second coming, we fast and feast while we wait. We fast to draw closer. We fast to create space. But we celebrate what he's doing now. And so, again, that question for some of us is, are we so focused on the fast that you've lost your ability to feast? And then my question for the others that might be listening, a different question for you might be, have you allowed yourself to feast or celebrate what is before you? Have you? Have you allowed yourself to embrace Jesus who is before you? Or have you kind of kept him at arm's length because you're not worthy? Because sin will tell you that you're not worthy. Sin will tell you, you don't deserve to celebrate. Sorry, you've lived too poorly of a life. You're not good enough. See, see where the holy people are? You, are? you look nothing like that. You're not good enough, so you cannot celebrate. You have nothing to celebrate. That's what sin wants to tell you. But I want to tell you that, that Jesus is standing before you, and that's worth celebrating. Several years ago, Bo and I went to um, a good friend of ours' wedding, and, and we've been to many weddings over the years. We've been to a lot of weddings together, and, and some weddings, I'm sure you can relate, some weddings are, are modest and simple, and then others are more extravagant. They're fancy. 
you wear a different kind of attire to those weddings. And so we went to this one wedding of, of a friend of ours several years ago, and it was such a beautiful, elegant, fancy wedding. I wore my best dress for this wedding. I mean, not so nice that it took away from the bride, but you know. And so this wedding was a few days after Christmas, and so it was just magical. It was beautiful. And this was the kind of wedding, and maybe the first one that I've been to, where they offered you like the full three-course meal. Like at my wedding, so many lovely ladies in the church spent lots of hours preparing meals for our wedding guests, but this was a wedding where they, they catered it in, and it was the best of the best, a full three-course meal. And they had a fantastic wedding cake. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of the thing I look forward to most about going to weddings, because there's just nothing like a good wedding cake. It's the best. And I get really excited about it. And so I had no doubt that the wedding cake at this particular wedding would be so good. And it was. It was every bit as good as I imagined it. And so we're sitting here feasting on this three-course meal and eating this delicious wedding cake, and there's dancing and stuff. So Sorry, there was dancing <laughs> and celebrating. And I just remember sitting there thinking, <laughs> in addition to how beautiful it was, I was like, man, I really wish I had my stretchy pants on because then I could enjoy more of this delicious food and cake. And I think what Jesus is trying to say when he uses this example of the bridegroom being before you and so this is the time to feast. It would be like me being at this beautifully fancy wedding and not having any of the feast, the food, or the cake, because why? Who would do that? Who would actually do that at a wedding? Instead, I was feasting so much that I was like, man, this dress is starting to feel tight and uncomfortable, and I just wish I had my stretchy pants. You know what I'm talking about. You felt that on Thanksgiving. It's the same thing. And so as messy as that illustration is, it's all I could think about this week, that Jesus came for you, and he came for me, and his coming is like being at this fancy wedding and having this great feast, and you wish you had worn your stretchy pants because you just want more. You just want more. You don't want to stop. That is the goodness of God that is available to you. It's so good and so great but you just want to make room for more. And when you respond to God's love for you, when you simply say, yes, Lord, you can have my life, you deserve all of me, it's just an opportunity for you to see all the good that he wants to do both in you and through you, and then you feel empowered by his Holy Spirit to participate in, in the good and the holy things that help usher in the kingdom of God. And so for some of you this morning, the question is, have you allowed yourself to feast and to celebrate? Because there is a king who came for you. There is a king who died for you, who lived and gave up his life for you, who rose and ascended and now reigns and yet desires to walk this messy life with you. That's worth celebrating. You've been given a sacred invitation to feast. Would you receive and celebrate that today? Please stand and sing with us this morning.
Father, we thank you for this sacred invitation to feast. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder of your great love for us that meets us right where we are before we ever have a chance to do or say a thing. 
Your love is there waiting for us. Thank you, God, that you never stop pursuing us. That even if we have built up these walls separating us from you, or so we think, you never stop pursuing us. You continually move closer. And so, Lord, my prayer for us is that that we would not allow rituals or practices to keep us from seeing the good things that you're doing in our midst, in our lives, in the lives of those around us. That these practices are meant to simply make space for you and draw closer to you so that we can see the inbreaking of your kingdom. And God, my prayer is also that for anyone who might feel like they are not worthy enough to celebrate, to feast, to enjoy, God, I just pray that you would speak to their hearts and let them know just how loved they are simply because you created them and you love them. They are yours. Help us, God, to see that and respond to that with open arms this morning. God, we thank you. Thank you for loving us. Lord, help us to go out into the world and do the same. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated for just a few more moments so that we can share a few quick announcements with you. Um, If you have not turned in your baby bottles, it's not too late to do so. You can still bring those by the office if you don't have them today. If you do, just go ahead and put those out in the foyer, but we will still take those if you have them. Um, The alabaster offering will still be taken, I think, this week and next week um, are the remaining Sundays in February, so that box is in the foyer. I also want to remind you um, that this week um, on Wednesday at 6.30 p.m., we are going to begin kind of a Lenten discussion time. This will be held online only through Zoom, and so be looking for an email from the church office um, with that link so that you can join us. And, And with that link will be some questions for you to be thinking about and considering, and they will all pertain to the message today, to the text we read. So I'm looking forward to just converse and discuss together what the Lord has spoken to us through uh, this message and this text this week. And then finally, um, we are needing some help and some volunteers for ushering and greeting. And so um, just think about that. Pray about that. If that is a way that you could volunteer, we could really use some help in that area. So um, we're going to kind of put that out there for you to think about for a week or two. And, and if you decide that you would be willing to help with our ushers and our greeters, um, please see Greg Parcell. He's going to be our contact person. Just let him know that you're interested. And let me encourage you, too, if you're thinking, well, I wouldn't mind ushering, I wouldn't mind greeting, but I don't really know what that looks like. Uh, once we have a good group of volunteers, we'll gather together for some sort of training where we will just kind of share with you the expectations for that and what that looks like, and we will fully equip you um, to be ushers and greeters. But that is an important part of the ministry. Uh, We want people who come into this place to feel at home. We want them to feel welcome, and so we need your help to do that. So just think about that. See Greg if you're interested, okay? All right. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, may you go in the Lord's grace and peace today, and may you Uh, receive with open arms the sacred invitation to feast today, the Lord's day. You are dismissed.